ready to dig in? How many people are hungry for the word this morning? That's why you, you came to worship and fellowship and hear the word, right? Yeah. All right, well, open up your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Genesis chapter 24, Genesis 24, and our, our message today is going to come out of really the entire 24th chapter of Genesis. So I'm going to be kind of combing through bits and pieces of this. But I think to open up, we'll just read, I don't know, a few verses here, starting out in uh, verse 1. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord God of heaven and God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom we dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be released from this oath. Just don't send my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Pause right there. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we ask you to just speak to us today. Uh, we pray for revelation for every single individual here this morning. Life-changing, world-transforming revelation, God. We're here to receive from you. Fill our cup full to the brim and overflowing today. And Lord, if there is such a thing as a Sunday snow demon, then we come against it right now in the name of Jesus and send it back to the icy pit of hell that it keeps coming out of. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just covering all our bases there. Uh, so... Before we dig in, let's talk briefly about the backdrop, the main characters in the story here. We have four. We have Abraham. We know about Abraham. We have his son, Isaac, the son, the promise. And we have this servant that we've just learned about in these first few verses. Most people believe that this servant, the oldest servant of Abraham at this point in his years, is Eliezer who we actually, if you were here a couple weeks ago, spoke a little bit about. Remember, Abraham thought that the servant Eliezer might be his heir before uh, Isaac came along, and he was mistaken about that. That was when Eliezer was younger. Well, most people believe Eliezer is the servant here because he's, he would be the oldest one, and he would be in charge of Abraham's affairs and, and all that he has. So we have those three characters. And then we also have a woman by the name of Rebecca. And we are going to learn here in just a bit that she will become the wife of Isaac. And the whole mission that's happening here 
is that Abraham, he's advanced in years, probably not capable of making a journey like this on his own, goes to his servant, Eliezer, and he says, I'm going to send you out to this country where I was from, and I want you to go and find a bride for my son. So we have the father, Abraham. We have the son, Isaac. We have the active agent in the situation, which is Eliezer, and then we have the bride, which is Rebecca. Now, there's some real powerful symbolism that I want to connect you to at the end of the message today, but I'm just going to let you know that ahead of time so that maybe you can pick up on it a little uh, along the way. But really what the message is about this morning, the message is actually about a servant's heart, the heart of a servant. And we're going to see in this story that there is a remarkable picture of the kind of servant's heart that God is looking for and that he is asking for us to walk with him and display to the world around us as we do. And when we read the Bible, we know that Jesus says a lot about serving. And he says that he didn't come to be served. Isn't this interesting? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He stepped down from the highest place that anyone can be at the right hand of the Father, exalted above all things, came down to the earth and he said, I didn't actually come to be served. I came to serve. Pretty powerful picture, right? Um, and when he says that, that word serve, just to give you a little bit of an indication of what that means, serving, a servant's heart, it means you know, to do a good deed. It means to care for someone. But listen to the way that it means to do that in. This is really where we're going to dig into today. It means not to simply do the bare minimum or the just normal expected. It means to go above and beyond. It means really to go the extra mile to the point that it actually inconveniences us ourselves. That's really the depth of serving that God is calling us into living a life of. We see a picture actually when we study the definition of serving of like a waiter in a restaurant serving a couple. And when a waiter goes to serve a couple, actually one of my first jobs whenever I was a teenager was waiting tables. And I remember they used to say when I was in training, you know, your job is to serve, is to make sure the people are cared for, they have everything that they need, you know, meet the needs, but not in such a way that you draw too much attention to yourself. Uh, you're not trying to distract them from the relationship and the time that they're having with one another. You want to make sure you're serving them well, but you're not there to try to be the spotlight and the center of the show. Everybody with me so far? And, and this is really the great picture of serving that I think we should get because when it comes to living our lives this way, if I can say this, I think myself included, many of us, it's not a huge deal, a huge challenge for us to kind of do the bare minimum, to do the expected. And we can walk away from things when we do that 
feeling really good about ourselves. And it's not to take away from or detract from that act. Anything done for the Lord is good. We know that. So we don't want to take away from it. But what I really want to try to help you see is that there is a deeper level in this thing called serving that God is calling us to. And it's a level that many times people never actually get to. Because that surface, that minimum amount is where they stay. And there's really treasure to be mined in this deeper place of serving that God wants to give us that we can't actually see or receive until we go to a place with it that it actually becomes very inconvenient, very, um, you know, more difficult. It costs us something more. Let me put it that way. Is everybody with me so far? And so there's the, the title of the message today is Going the Extra Mile. And I don't know, you know what some of the reasons are. Maybe it's because we live in a world that trains us to become very self-absorbed people now. Um, it's just the way that it seems culture is, is that people can become very focused on self, self-absorbed. It's, you know... Everything that goes on that they think about, decisions that they make, they, they really happen through a very narrow lens of how does this affect me? How does this affect self? And not necessarily stepping back and looking at it from a broader perspective of how can I be a servant to those who are around me? And frankly, I think that for many of us, um, our lives are really just too crowded, they're just too crowded. There's actually no room in our lives to be interrupted, to be inconvenienced. And that's the nature of this kind of servant life is that it actually inconveniences the, the flesh. And so when we're doing this, when we're serving the way God's called us to, we're actually not doing it from a place of flesh. We're doing it from the heart. Does that make sense? And so, and so we're going to see in this story how God gives us one of the best pictures, in my opinion, of what this genuine, pure servant's heart looks like and, and what kind of a life that it can result in. Let me say that one more time because I think for a lot of people, when they start stepping into serving and sacrificing, you know, they can have this misunderstanding that they're... They're, they're losing something. And we are sacrificing, but it's, we're not actually losing something. We're gaining something. You know, the, the Word of God and the things of God are always kind of opposite of the ways of the world. The ways of the world are, you know, get something for me and I become pleased, I become satisfied. But the ways are, of God are give things away and serve others and you'll be fulfilled in a way that you could never know. And so let's kind of dig in here a little bit further, would we'll read on in verse 10. It says, And then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed for, with all of his master's goods in hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia in the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women came out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. 
Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. So let's stop right there. So Eliezer gets 10 camels, and he he puts together this entourage, if you will, to make this journey to the land that Abraham came out of where he was originally from. And that's in a place of Mesopotamia, which is in the Middle East. And basically, by all accounts, most people agree that this journey was about somewhere between 450 and 500 miles. Just to put that in perspective, that's like going from here, uh, in where we're at, close to St. Louis, down to Montgomery, Alabama. That's a pretty good indication of about 500 miles. So it was a long journey. But it was a journey through desert-like conditions and desert lands. So what do we know about deserts? They're very dry. There's not a lot of what? Water. That's why camels were good for this journey because camels, depending on the number of humps actually on their back that they have, they can either have three or four stomachs. And I know sometimes I think my kids do too. When... (laughs) We sit down to eat, and they just wipe everything out. I think maybe I'm raising camels. But, but these camels can have three or four stomachs, which means they can hold in a, a substantial amount of water before they make this journey. But they've just traveled by land almost 500 miles. So this was probably close to three weeks that they've been on this journey and, and there's probably been very little water along the way. And Eliezer finally arrives at his destination. And he shows up in the center of town is where he goes. Because at the center of town is where the well is. Now this is really, you'll find this interesting. But in these days, the place where the well was, was also kind of like a common bachelor pad hangout. Why is that? Because... The, the, young, the young women of the families, it was their chore to go out and fetch water throughout the times of the day, and they usually went out close to evening time before it would get dark, and they went up to the well in town, and they would fetch their water. So you know, all the bachelors, they come rolling out, right, all pimped out in their gear, and they just come sit down, and they just say, we're going to just check out the scene, man, what's coming up to the well today. Who is the lucky lady? And this was a real thing. When I was younger and as as a teenager, I don't know if any of you did this, um, but, you know, our thing was the mall, right? And, And when we were going to the mall, I mean, we weren't really going to the mall. Like, this was like the thing. I mean, you know, you get two handfuls of hair gel. I mean, you fill it up. You slick that baby back. I mean, you're in your best gear. You got your stonewashed jeans going on. Come on. Anybody remember these days, right? Some of you actually were still around when it was the well. So, okay. All right. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh. (laughs) So this this is really what's happening here, is that Eliezer has come to the place where he knows he's most likely going to find the bride for his master's son. Now, do you remember when it said there in the beginning of those verses that Abraham made Eliezer put his hand under his thigh? Like, what's that all about, right? Ancient custom, kind of a weird thing. 
Um, what that means is that whenever Abraham had Eliezer put his hand under his thigh, it means that this mission that I am sending you on is as dear of a mission to my heart as we can get. This is at the heart of the Father and what he is desiring to see happen. And so Eliezer put his hand under his thigh. So he's taking this mission incredibly serious. But one of the keys about it, and Eliezer even asked Abraham, what if the woman won't come? What if she won't receive the invitation? And Abraham says, he says, listen, you can't force her to come. You can't force the future bride to come and be with the son. You can only extend the invitation. Anybody seeing where we're going yet? All right. You can't force her to come. But the Lord God will be with you and he will make this way prosperous and he will make this journey prosperous. Nevertheless, if she won't come, I'll release you from this oath. So this is like serious stuff that's going down. So they're sitting here. They're at the well. And this is what happens. Let's continue on in verse 15. And this next number of verses, folks, is where the magic starts to happen. This is the beauty of this story for me. In verse 15, it says, And it happened before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin that no man had known. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. And then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. Let's stop right there for just a minute. The first thing that we see about Rebecca, and actually her name even implies this, is that she is, let me just use today's language, drop dead gorgeous. She's a knockout. I mean, her beauty is captivating. That's the way that when we study her name and we study the Bible, that we see the kind of beauty that Rebecca had. I think it's so fitting that the Lord chose this woman for this, for this uh, specific part because really this amazing beauty, she was probably the most beautiful woman in the whole area, in the whole city. But that was like only the the surface of the beauty that we begin to look and gaze into about Rebecca. And she comes along and she has her pitcher of water. Now, most people would say that it was probably somewhere between three to five gallons, this container that these women would carry to the well from their home and they would fetch the water, and then they would carry it back on their shoulder or their head. I mean, there were some worker bees, you know, where God loved the women of this day. And uh, so she has her pitcher, 
And it says that she went down to the well to get the water. So there was likely some sort of steps or some kind of an entrance, right, that she had to move down to to get that pitcher and get down in the well and get the water and come back up with. Now, you have to keep in mind that there's no shortage of chores to do and daylight is running out. Rebecca had an agenda. I mean, she had a number of things that needed to get done and there was probably going to still be more left to do when darkness came. And so she's still, you know, she's busy. She's got things going on. It's not like she's just twiddling her thumbs with nothing going on to do. She goes down to get this water and she's probably getting ready to head up on her way. And Eliezer walks up and he says, hey, excuse me, ma'am, miss, um, could I have a drink of water? I've been on this journey, right? He's thirsty. He's him, himself. He's parched. And so she says, absolutely, sir. Now, this part, Eli, come up here for just a second. Would you, buddy? Would you help me out today? This part where she extends a drink to Eliezer is kind of expected hospitality, I mean, she, she's taking care of her family, but this is a, uh, a guest in the community, somebody that's traveled, he's a stranger, but it was customary that you would show hospitality at, at least to a stranger. He needs a drink. I've got three of them up here. I, I mean, I have an extra. Absolutely. You're thirsty. Take the drink. That's, that's for you. I'm happy to help you. Okay, so this is kind of that expected level. This is like, we do this because this is hospitality. This is what we should do, right? This is nothing out of the ordinary to anyone that she would give him a drink from her pitcher because he was thirsty. That's not, that's not getting somebody's attention like, whoa, this amazing servant that just did this, you know. But she does something very different after this. In fact, let me just hang tight. Let me just read you a couple more verses. Verse 19. It says, when she finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. How many camels were there? Do you have any idea how a, much a camel can drink when they are been without water for days? Somewhere between 40 and 50 gallons. So how many gallons, if it's 50 gallons and it's 10 camels, Eli, how many gallons? 500. 500, that's right. So now... We've kind of done the expected here, but Rebecca, she just blows the door off. She just blows the ceiling off of this thing because she says, oh, I'm happy to give you this drink, but as soon as you're done drinking, let me get water for all of your camels. Now, if this is about five gallons, Eli, just go ahead and, and pick that up, and why don't you just kind of walk on down here with it, you know? And kind of make haste, come on, like kind of walk over there with it, you know, like you're, 
All right, and then walk back up here. Come on, turn around. Walk back up now with it. Come on. Yeah, come on. So five, whoa. It's not so easy, is it? That's right. 500 gallons, guys. If it's five gallons a pitcher, she made 100 trips. And the trips were not just like this. There was a trough that she emptied into. There were steps, <laughs> are you with me, where she went down to get the water. She made it 100 probably trips up and down. It could have taken her an hour, a couple hours. I have no idea. The point is, if you did that for the next two hours, you're going to be pretty sore tonight, aren't you, buddy? I mean, I know you got an arm on you. You're a catcher and you throw people out at second base, but your arm's going to be a little sore after lugging these buckets up and down for the next couple hours, right? Thank you for your help. I appreciate that. Give him a round of applause. Rebecca, out of the pureness of her heart, just allowed her agenda, her schedule, her Blackberry, her, her calendar uh, synced up in her iPhone to get totally interrupted, completely jacked up, right, for the rest of her day. And is she upset about it? No. Guys, this is what pierces my heart. This is what challenges me because I, I know that the Lord will get my attention and say, look, you need, to, you need to go here. You need to do this. I'm going to use you. And I'm like, okay, I see it. And then, but, but the part that I, I think sometimes struggle with is I'm like, man, but, oh, but I got all this, uh, you know, doggone it. All right, God, I'll do it. You know, and I'm kind of like, I know I need to, but there's a little wrestle. There's a little kind of pushback between me and God when this thing's going on. Am I the only one or is there anybody else that feels that way? But that's not what we see with Rebecca at all. She makes this trip up and down and up and down and she takes care of every single one of these camels. Really, she wasn't going to stop until they were done drinking. It says, until they're finished, I'll, I'll take care of your camels. Her whole agenda has been blown out the door for the rest of the night. And she doesn't have a problem with it at all. Because she's happy to what? To serve out of a genuine servant's heart. Now, what we see happen from here gets really exciting. Verse 21, it says, And then the man, wondering at her, remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it was when the camels finished drinking, the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, two bracelets off, and put them on her wrist weighing 10 shekels of gold. And they began to ask her, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. And so once she responds this way, Eliezer starts to see this is the kind of conduct uh, that is befitting of a bride for my master's son. This is, this is what we're looking for. This is the right display of, of servanthood. And he immediately begins to bless her with a nose ring and a couple of bracelets. So I guess he had a piercing gun in his back pocket. I'm not sure how that worked. But he popped it out, and it might have been a two or three gauge. I'm not sure, you know. So he... he, he 
takes care of that and does his piercing, gets her nose ring in, and he gets a couple of bracelets. Now, those shekels of gold weighs, it comes out to weigh about a quarter of a pound, which the value, today's value, is around $5,000. Get this. She had no ulterior motive in serving Eliezer the way that she did. She was doing it out of the genuineness of her heart because that's who she was. But once she did that, she was met by the servant of the master with extravagant generosity. He blesses her with some articles of jewelry that are going to total value around $5,000. I mean, let's just say that it took her two hours to do this. She just made $2,500 an hour. Now, if I told you, Eli, that I need you to go do this for me for the next two hours, but I'll pay you five grand, would you take me up on it? Would anybody not take me up on that offer today, right? Of course you would. $2,500 an hour is insane. Like, that's, ama- that's, a, that's an extravagant blessing. What's the point of that? Guys, God always rewards our generosity and our servant's heart in an extravagant way that's beyond blessed and what we could ever imagine in exchange for the genuine, pure, no ulterior motive kind of serving that we're willing to do for him. And that's exactly what happens here. So then, after he blesses her with this and he finds out that she's from the right family, she, she goes running back to her brother and her dad to tell them about this encounter. And Eliezer kind of moves uh, on his way to go back and meet up with her. And she says, yes, we have lodging available. Come and stay with us. This is great. And so she runs back to tell her family all about it. And so Eliezer shows up and he begins to tell the family the, the story. Here's what happened. I was sent by my master to find a bride for his son. I showed up. This is what Rebecca did, and she's the one. She's the one that's the bride for my master's son, and I want her to come with me. And so the family of Rebecca hears this story, and their response is, clearly, this is the hand of the Lord. Obviously, God is in this. It's up to her. If she wants to go, then she can go. And her response is, yes, I will accept the invitation. And then she begins to uh, get ready and get packed up. And she goes with Eliezer to head back. And then Eliezer showers her and her family with even more gifts, more silver, more gold, more clothing, it says. So, you know, that first round of blessing came. But now, all of a sudden, here's another layer of blessing. It's like blessing on top of blessing that just keeps following. That's the kind of treasury that our God has in heaven where he owns it all. Let me remind you that. And so, I don't know, this second round, it's probably, I mean, he's probably bringing in the Zales suitcases. I mean, he's probably got a Gucci armoire with him, some Louis Vuitton. I mean, she's just loaded down with brand new accessories for every day of the year after this. But look, this is what's amazing is that that's not even the biggest part. 
Because this is what Eliezer says to her and to her family. My master is wealthy. The father, he owns all of these resources. He's wealthy beyond what you can imagine. Hallelujah. And he's given it all to his son. It's all been given to the son. And if you will receive the invitation to come and be his bride, then this little bit of jewelry and these fancy clothes and all this stuff that you're looking at right now, this is nothing because everything that he owns is waiting for you. If you'll accept the invitation, you don't just get this, you get it all. And I've seen your heart, Rebecca. I've seen the genuine, pure heart to serve. And that's the heart that I'm looking for. That's the heart that aligns with the bride that's fit for the son. Hallelujah. Do you see the imagery now in what's going on here? The master, Abraham, represents the father God. And the son, Isaac represents Jesus. Now get this. The servant, Eliezer, is the active agent in the mission and assignment in the world of the Father's business. That's the Holy Spirit. And Rebecca is the bride, and we are referred to the church as the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. But it's an invitation. We would never, uh, God would never force us to accept and receive that. He will just simply invite us into a life of extravagant blessing that I just want to make sure I remind you supersedes material possessions. I'm talking about heavenly treasure and riches beyond our wildest dreams. He's saying if you will come and be the bride, then everything that the Father has put into the hands of the Son, He will give to you. It's waiting for you. And it's an invitation. But this, this effort and display of servanthood, of going above and beyond, of not doing the bare minimum of offering a drink to the man but going and getting water for 10 thirsty camels that just trekked for three weeks across the desert gives us a picture, folks, of a life interrupted. And we have to be willing to be interrupted, to be inconvenienced. Because that depth of serving, that kind of servanthood will run self-absorption out of your life, self-centeredness out of your life, more powerfully than anything else can possibly do. It is the tool of the Lord that He gives us in our life to bless us, to reward us, and it runs that self-centered flesh-like nature right out of us if we'll step over into the depths of it where very few people ever go. Hallelujah. Can anybody give the Lord a hand clap for that today? And just remember this as we close, that when we serve each other and others, that we're not just serving those people. 
We're serving Jesus himself. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Well, in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus says something like this to his disciples. He says, when the time comes and, Jesus, and I return, and I'm separating the good from the bad, he says, the good are going to say, I'm going to say to the good, when I was thirsty, you, you gave me drink. When I was hungry, you, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And that's what I'll say to you. And then the disciples said, they're like, Lord, when did we do that to you? <sighs> oh, get this, please, today. Lord, when did we do that to you? And he said, as often as you done, did this for the least of them, you did it for me. Hallelujah. As often as you did it for the least of them, you did it for me. And it says in another place, it says that it's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to do good to those who do good to you. In fact, get this. This is huge. Jesus says, even the sinners do that. Whoa. Glass of water. Or a couple hundred pitchers. It's easy to do good to those who do good to you. But he says, when you do it for the least of them, when you let your life get interrupted and inconvenienced, when you let your schedule be moved around and shifted to the point where it's not good for you, but it's good for somebody else, then guess what? You're pleasing me. You're serving me because when you do it for the least of them, you're doing it for me, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But the beauty is, is that that's not not our motive. That's not our MO. That's not our game plan. Our motive is to serve God, serve him well, love people well the way he's called us to, and praise him that he will reward us and bless us extravagantly beyond anything we could ever possibly know, any material possession that we could ever earn or lay hold of on our own. That's the kind of treasury department that your God owns, and that's the kind of blessing that he's wanting to put on you. Hallelujah. But he's looking for people who will accurately reflect him in the world. Because I don't know about you, I love doing the little things, the, the bare minimum, right? Nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't always get people's attention. That doesn't always cause people... I mean, Eliezer was like, thank you for the drink. But when she said... Not so long. Hold tight. Let me go down and let me get all the water that your camels need because they're thirsty too. That's when he said, we found her. We found the bride. This is a bride who will properly fit the groom for the marriage that the master is seeking. That's the life he's calling us into. That's what servanthood really means. When we study serving in the Bible, it means going the extra mile. It means going to the point of self-interruption and self-inconvenience for the good and the sake of others. 
And I believe with all my heart that the world is missing that out there. I mean, you can look around and you just don't find it very many places. Can we allow God to help us see in our overcrowded, busy, uninterruptible lives that we need to take a step back and hold our schedule and our plans and our agendas loosely so that the Lord can come along one day if he chooses to and interrupt us with an assignment that might throw our day off but results in a blessing for someone else that's extravagant and ultimately the Lord will bless us extravagantly as well. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? Please with me today. We all need self-absorption, self-centeredness ran out of our lives because it's a part of the flesh and we all have flesh. So we're all in this thing together. We're in the same boat. Maybe some more than others. I mean, just I encourage you not to go comparing these kind of things, right? But we all have a self-centered nature, a self-focus, because the flesh thinks about itself. It wants to please itself. It needs preservation. It needs things for itself. <laughs> and God says, I want you to be a servant. I want you to focus on the higher things. I want you to think about others and prefer others over yourself. And when you do, you'll be blessed extravagantly but I'm going to use that to run this self-centered nature, this self-centered flesh right out of your life because I want to transform you into the image of my son because I want you to be a bride who is betrothed to my son and is ready for the marriage that is yet to come. And that is where the story ends. Rebecca shows up. She gets to the place where Abraham and Isaac are. It says Isaac is out meditating in the field. Sarah has just died. He's probably mourning. He's meditating in the field. Rebecca comes riding up with Eliezer. She sees Isaac from afar. She lays eyes on him and she says, Who is that? Who is that? The sun will always catch our eye if we're looking for him. She says, Who is that? And Eliezer says, that's your groom. That's the son. And she puts a veil over her face and she prepares herself. She gets off of the animal and she runs and she meets him and they go in and they consummate their marriage after that. And they, be, and they birth children who became the lineage of the promise of Abraham throughout all the generations after that. She was a woman who was blessed beyond what anyone's wildest dreams could imagine. Her lineage brought forth the Messiah himself. And she was just a simple woman with a servant's heart who wanted to serve the man who came with the, with the camels and the mission. And it ended up resulting in her being the bride to the groom that brought forth the Messiah himself.